Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let y'all know that my entire family has switched our cell phone service over to Patriot, and it has been such a great move for us. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company. They're all about freedom, the Constitution, giving you the power to support conservative organizations. It's right up our alley. It's like having a superpower for your beliefs. Patriot Mobile uses the same reliable networks as the big carriers, so you'll get great service wherever you go. We did not see a change in our service, and actually it's gotten better. Their customer service is incredible. You call and you immediately get someone on the phone to help you with something. They've got plans to fit every budget from unlimited talk and text to data-packed options for all your streaming needs. And when you make the switch to Patriot Mobile, they will buy out your current contract up to $500 a line. So fellow freedom-loving friends, it is time to make the change. Head over to PatriotMobile.com today. Use the code Blake for 10% off your bill. That's PatriotMobile.com, code Blake. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Addison, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Thank you. Good to be here. We were talking before we started recording. You're my fifth Bevere. This is just a family affair. Fifth Bevere. (laughs) That's a lot of Beveres. Like when do you hit the too much Bevere? That I don't think the limit exists. Okay. Because y'all are all so (laughs) fabulous and so easy to talk to. I've gotten to talk to everybody from your mom and dad to your brother and sister-in-law. I'm really excited to have this conversation about prayer and about your new book. But before we get into all of that, I want to kind of set you apart. You are your own Bevere. (laughs) You work with everybody, but you also have your own thing. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So Blake, so good to be on the show. Thank you. I have been married for 15 years and actually actually led my wife to Jesus. So I did the whole missionary dating, flirting to convert, whatever you want to call it. It actually runs in the family. My, my dad's story and my story are so similar. And if you look at, look at our wives, their story, even family dynamics, very similar. So there's that. We have four kids, ages six through 13, two boys, two girls. And I'm really passionate about finding ways to integrate the parts of our lives that feel disjointed because i believe that the life that we're designed to enjoy and pursue is a life of integration a life of peace and wholeness and i believe the the message of the gospel is a good news that heaven and earth are reconciled god and man are reconciled man and man woman and woman man and woman we're reconciled and so what does it look like to live that out practice and purpose and community so I'm really passionate about figuring that out where, where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. I love that. And so with, with Messenger, we do a lot of discipleship work in over 200 nations. And that's that's incredible. We could do that as a family and a larger team. But I'm passionate about prayer. 
Yes, that too. We're going to get into that. You don't, you don't have to pitch it. <laughs> I love Christians with analytical brains because we need you. Like we need someone to make it make sense because the emotionality and the feeling side of it is important. Like God gave us feelings. God gave us emotions. Sure. Like sometimes you just need something to hold on to that's like, okay, let's talk about how this all really does work together. And <laughs> He's that big and that good. And so I'm so thankful for brains like yours because my brain is very squirrely. And so I <laughs> I love getting to learn from people that it makes sense. So you have a new book that just came out last month, Words with God Trading Boring Empty Prayer for Real Connection. Mm-hmm. I feel that subtitle in my bones <laughs> <laughs> because... I I was telling you a little bit before we started recording that, I mean, I grew up in the church. This is my story. This is my song. Like, I don't know life without Jesus, but real intimate connection with God or his son or the Holy Spirit has always felt out of reach. I think a lot of that is growing up in religion and scripted prayers and bullet points and what is your kind of experience with prayer? And I mean, I know, I know I'm fangirling. I'm doing the, like, I'm putting the Bevere's on a little bit of a pedestal. Like you grew up with John Bevere and Lisa Bevere. <laughs> what is your yeah. prayer life looked like? Yeah, I would say, so my parents are radically different when it comes to prayer. So my dad is very structured. My mom is praying in the shower. Like that's mm-hmm. when she goes at it. She would take, when we were young, she would take these super long showers, like 40, 60 minute showers. She would call them therapy. Yeah. And we would stand on the other side of the door and scream, be like, mom, mom, when are you getting out of the shower? We're hungry. We're this, you know, four <laughs> boys. So I, I saw very different models of prayer embodied in my parents. And so I would say my approach to prayer really is a fusion of many different things. And I think we've forfeited the robustness of prayer. And because of that, a lot of people are turning to DIY spirituality and shadow forms and shadow expressions of prayer. So this is what I have found, having conversations with people in my own experience. Most of us believe we are bad at prayer. Mm Mm-hmm. It's actually very few people are like, yeah, actually, I'm amazing yeah. at prayer. And let me, let me tell you how good I am at prayer. So most of us are really bad at prayer, but we also feel like we've been at this for long enough to be good at prayer. Mm-hmm. So we don't like to talk about it. I think the fundamental reason why we're bad at prayer is because we view prayer as a religious problem to solve and not an intimate experience to share. Amen. So That's the fundamental issue. When we make that shift, then prayer starts to open up and all the different forms and the robustness of prayer become accessible to us. But prayer isn't just another task or another thing to do. It's literally the thing that connects everything that we do together. Right. And so when when we start to take that view of prayer, it's like, wait a second. Maybe how I've defined prayer, maybe it's actually a good thing that I'm discontent with it because maybe there's a whole nother world of prayer and connection with God that isn't boring, that isn't empty, that isn't transactional, that I should be leaning into. And I'm just aiming in the wrong direction because of religious upbringing or a misconception of who God is and how he engages with us and our struggle and our pain and our need and what he's looking for from us and what he has for us. And I think a lot of that belief comes from good intention, right? The really structured religiosity of prayer. 
we're trying to teach our children how to pray and youth pastors are trying to teach youth kids how to pray and trying to teach prayer is inherently difficult, right? Because it's going to be such an individualized experience and like Jesus being like, this is how to pray. He says that in the Bible. And so it's really easy to read that and go, okay, this is how I pray. And it's this... a, like, it's a, what is, what do they call it? Like we're each formula. better. Yeah. Like it's a oh, formula. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Formula. Okay. So let's, let's use that as, as an example. You called out the Lord's prayer. I think that's yeah. a great example. So it's really hard when you study the gospel and you study Jesus' life. It's really hard to find Jesus handing out formulas. He doesn't do it because he knows when we're given formulas, we find ways to manipulate the formula. And we hold on to them for dear exactly. life. Exactly. We yeah. do. And we see this. And God stoops within religious frameworks to elevate us into higher forms of relationship. He does. But what we do is we take those religious frameworks and we try to control God. And when you look at the Lord's Prayer, what we're actually given is not a formula. We're giving a we're given a framework. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord's Prayer, yes, it tells us what to pray, but it's more about how to pray. Yes. So those those words and the sequence of those words, they actually open us to a fresh way of engaging with God, understanding ourselves, understanding each other, understanding purpose, understanding pain understanding all of the things that are really meaningful about life and granular mm -hmm. about life and dirty about life. Like for instance, daily bread, something as seemingly insignificant as daily bread, all of that matters to God mm -hmm. and it matters in prayer. So yes, can we play, actually pray the Lord's prayer through Absolutely. the way that we're talking? 100%, I do that, I think it's amazing. But what's even more meaningful for me is when I pray our father. Okay, God, you're not just my father. You're that person's father too that I'm having a problem with right now. <laughs> so help me, like help me see this person the way you see them. And then as I move through that, I'm like, where am I not believing that you're my father? Mm. Like where where are there disconnects in my life? What thought patterns have I allowed to elevate above the truth of what you speak over me? And so that prayer, while it's universal and something we can all access, it can also become very personal and specific yeah. to the day. And that's when it becomes powerful. Yeah. And even something like I think about my parents taught me that we would kneel in front of the bed and we would do the now I lay me down to sleep. I yeah. pray the Lord my soul to keep, which now retrospectively, it's kind of a it's a mildly terrifying prayer. <laughs> like if I yeah. die before I wake, I'm like seven years old, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, please take my soul if I die in my sleep. But anyway, that's a, that's an aside. But those practices are good. I wanted sure. so I mean, so thankful and so blessed to have grown up in a home where my parents taught me how to pray and prayed with me before they put me to bed, regardless of if I was going to bed afraid for my soul. That's that's <laughs> fine. But it's we won't get into that. Right. We're not gonna get into that. But it's <laughs> it's the I think about it in terms of like milk and meat, mm. right? Like, yes, you have to give people milk. Because that's how they learn. Totally. But if that never go any further than that, if our prayers stay stilted and rehearsed and recited, then our prayer life is going to stay stilted and rehearsed and recited. And I would venture to say that most people that are listening aren't still reciting prayers, right? They're not sure. still just saying the Lord's Prayer and that's the extent of their prayer life. But it's still really easy to feel like it's not going anywhere. Like I can remember mm -hmm. as a college student, literally feeling like my prayers were hitting the ceiling and just bouncing <laughs> right back. Yes. Why do we feel that way? Why do you think 
that feeling is a part of our experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there are a few reasons. And going back to what you said about this idea, we need something to grasp onto initially and originally. Mm -hmm. When we're training kids, like it's okay to give them rules and formulas and stuff like that. But the idea is we want to point beyond those toward what the rules are built for. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you're a master in a craft, you have to learn the rules before you know how to break them in a way that actually points to what the rules are all about. It's like Jesus, they thought Jesus was breaking Torah, but no Jew had ever been more true to Torah. And what Jesus was doing was actually revealing the heart of Torah and what he was doing. So there's nothing wrong with learning these things, but the idea is we're supposed to move into deeper forms of connection. Like looking at a marriage, there are principles and frameworks that are great for marriage, but if you reduce your marriage to a formula or a transaction to solve, that's just not going to work. There's not going to be meaningful connection. So I think one of the reasons why, like, and I, and I, as you know, in the first section of this book, it's called the Canyon. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this idea, like, are we actually hearing anything from God when we cry out? Or is this just an echo of our own thoughts, our own desires? And there's a couple of things with that. We often find ourselves in a season feels like silence, Mm -hmm. like God's just not there. And the reality is, and maybe some people don't want to hear this. Silence is a language of God's. It's not God's only language, but it is a language of God. Psalm 65 says that praise waits for you in silence, O you who hear our prayer. Mm. There's something about the silence that invites us to let go of cheap words and cheap sentiments and engage with God in a way that's fresh and authentic and real to the moment that we're in. The other thing about silence, and this is a bit terrifying, so many of us, we're used to engaging with this world through the voice of the accuser, through a voice of accusation. It's baked into the systems of this world. Mm -hmm. So much, whether that's identity or community, education, the voice of accusation is very much a part of our upbringing. And the silence is a part of us unlearning the voice of the accuser so we can learn to hear the voice of God because the voice of God sounds very different. Yeah. And so we move into the silence and it feels like we're being rejected, but it's actually an invitation. The silence is an invitation to deeper connection. I went through a season of my life, and I write about this in the book, five years, like, where I felt like God had completely abandoned me. Five years, I struggled with insomnia. I lived in a perpetual fog, and I cried out. I did all the quote-unquote right things, and it's like God was nowhere to be found. It was in this season, Blake, that I learned, like, God wasn't interested, so much interested in me, like, having all the right answers and doing all the right things and checking all the right boxes. He was interested in me finding Him. Mm. And I was viewing prayer as a mechanism to get whatever I thought God wanted me to get instead of viewing prayer as the thing that leads me into the heart of God. And I discovered in this season that God has a way of not delivering us from a thing. For me, it was insomnia and anxiety. Mm -hmm. God has a way of not delivering us from a thing if he knows that that thing will ultimately deliver us to him. Yep. Because his end game is intimacy and connection. And it was in this season, Blake, where I learned to let go of prayers that were cheap or rehearsed. And again, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with learning prayers. Like I I actually love liturgy. Yeah. I I enjoy, I enjoy the Psalms. I enjoy praying the Psalms. It was actually in this season that I started praying the Psalms. But I learned in this season, Psalm 142, for instance, where David says, I pour out my complaints before you, Mm -hmm. God. Like I had this idea of God, like I'm not allowed to complain to God. 
Oh yeah. I can might be able to complain indirectly to God and maybe kind of complain to God. But I realize it's one thing to complain about God. It's another thing to complain to God. When we complain to God, that sets us up to know God and be known by God in a fresh way. And how can we really even know that God is faithful until life has given us a reason to doubt his faithfulness, to doubt his goodness? It's when we move through those moments with honesty, with grit, with dedication, with surrender, that we start to see God for who he really is. And we start to understand who we are and understand what that means for our world and purpose and how our lives play out. So there's even that moment, you know, the moment in first Kings 19 where Elijah escapes and he's running from Jezebel. He has this amazing encounter. He shows off, God shows up and the prophets of Baal are slaughtered and everything happens. You would think he'd be in a really great place, but instead he's running from his life. And then God comes to meet with him, the mountain, and God doesn't come in the spectacles. It doesn't come in the fire, the earthquake, not the wind, none of those. And how it reads in Hebrew, God comes in the thin silence, mm-hmm. the thin silence. And there is a thin silence that we get to enter into. And there's an old quote that goes, we do not know each other yet. We have not yet dared to be silent together. Mm. And I think God is inviting us in a world of lots of words, lots of confusion, lots of craziness. God is inviting us into silence so that we can know him and then speak prophetically and clearly the words that we need to hear, that our family needs to hear, that our communities need to hear, that our nation, that our world needs to hear. But that can only happen if we engage God in the silence. I think we've also been taught that if God is being silent, then like he's mad at us, that he's holding out on us, that we've done something wrong. And once we get it right, then we'll hear his voice. And the idea that the silence is just one more extension of his goodness and his nearness is a little bit mind blowing. It's so foreign from what we're taught, like in religion, right? But then you look at scripture and you see how many people encountered him in silence. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a box of our own making that we put God in, right? Because if we give someone the silent treatment, it's petty, right? Like yes. it's petty and it's abusive and it's all yeah. of those things. And so the human condition is transferring our characteristics to God instead of the other way. Yes. And so I think a lot of us have this idea that the silent treatment from God means he's mad at us. Yeah. And like all of that stuff died on the cross, like his displeasing, him being displeased and him holding out on us. Like he was never doing any of that. Right. And he doesn't do that now and not even in our prayer. I guarantee you there are people listening going, hold on. <laughs> you mean when I don't hear God, it could be a good thing? Like that's so foreign. But I also want to talk about complaining to God. Yeah. Because I actually, this sounds really silly, but I complained to God for the first time like last summer. And what happened? Okay, wait, but it's God. kind of a crazy story. And we just told this whole story about how God responds in silence, but he also responds, like he also mm-hmm. responds in response. So in the back of my house, the back of my house basically forms like a wind tunnel. Okay. okay. Kind of weird, but it was like a dead day. And I was so mad at God. I was, I thought we had gotten what we wanted and it wasn't <laughs> what we wanted is yep. the best way to describe it. And so I go outside, there's nobody home. And I just like stood back there and I was just, it was like water behind a dam where I was 33 years of never allowing, never showing up ugly. Yeah. Right. He, I knew he yeah. saw me ugly. I knew he saw all of me, 
but I wasn't like willingly stepping into his presence just with it, like, like just letting it all out. And I just, it was like water behind a dam and then the dam broke and I'm weeping and it's like so messy. And I was like apologizing in between every complaint, you know, where it was like, (laughs) what the heck? But also, I'm sorry, please don't strike me down. Oh, but like this sucks, <laughs> but also like, don't be mad. And then yeah. literally it was a dead day and the back turned into a wind tunnel. And like my hair was flying all over the place and God was literally like, shush. Mm. And it wasn't a like, stop complaining. It was like, stop apologizing. Yeah. Just show up. Just be with me. Let mm. me have it. Like my shoulders are big. I can take it. <laughs> let me have, like, literally let me have yeah, it. And I did. And it was it. ugly and it was messy, but I like sat down and I've never had like peace that surpasses yeah. understanding like that. Yeah. And nothing about my circumstances changed. No, everything was still hard when I walked back inside, but there was something about like, I wasn't performing anymore. Right. You- Mm-hmm. exactly I changed and my prayer was no longer performative because yep. I'd ripped off the band-aid like I had taken off yep. the mask and it was a mask I was only wearing for myself right like God's experience with me did not change mine with him changed that's right So he, Hebrews 4, this is, because people might be hearing this and be like, wait a second, I don't know, like this, this sounds scary. Well, it is scary. Intimacy is scary. Very much. There are many who believe that our word intimacy comes from the Latin intimere, which literally means into fear. Let's, let's be honest. It's scary to be intimate with anyone, even more so God, who right. knows everything about us. Okay. When you read something like Hebrews 4, Hebrews 2, where it describes Jesus as someone who can relate to us and sympathize with us. And our weaknesses, the idea there is he's occupied every space of what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. Like when you really break down the, the text, it talks about how the word of God pierces and divides between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And because of that, because we know that we are known as we really are, we can go to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And all of that is the same passage. Well, let's think about Jesus for a second. He is the one who cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Mm. And I, I firmly believe, Blake, that that is the greatest temptation that we face as humans is to believe that God has forsaken us. Mm-hmm. I believe that in order for Jesus to experience the fullness of the human experience, he had to know what that felt like. And if we read Psalm 22, which is what he's quoting from when he says that later in that Psalm, David writes, you do not abandon mm-hmm. the afflicted in their affliction and you do not turn your face from them. And so when we cry out, we're like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're actually entering a part of the human experience, number one, that's universal. And number two, that Jesus has walked out and has modeled for us and has given permission for us to be a part of. And I think that's extraordinary. So the idea of trying to keep prayers in this little box, that's the accuser. Mm. that's that's not that's not the voice of god that's the voice of accusation and the voice of accusation says hey you better you better get this right you better get this transaction right and that's what religion does really well right you better talk to the right person you better say the right words you better go to the right place and if you yeah. don't do it all of your work is for nothing 
Yeah. And when we start to realize that prayer, like, yes, there are so many different forms of prayer. But if we believe what Paul writes in places like Romans 12 and 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says, pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. If we really believe that's possible, right? I mean, like, come on, like, let's just be honest here, people. Like, if we believe that's possible, then the only way for us to believe that is to say that our lives are one mighty integrated prayer and that God really does want to have words with us in both silence and sound. Mm. Yes, there are moments where we are tucked away in a closet and that's important or we're by ourselves or whatever. Like, yes, but God wants to commune with us in every single moment. And this isn't another chore. This is not like a holy bore, a holy chore. This is an invitation to view life and view ourselves differently. And I think so much of the disintegration that we feel internally and the disintegration that we experience with the people in our world, it can be tied back to this idea that we have not opened the conversation. We have not learned what it is to have words with God. We have not let God into the messiest words, the messiest conversations, the messiest moments of our lives. And because of that, we feel disjointed. What does praying without ceasing look like to you? Because that is so intimidating, even to people who (laughs) grew up in the church. And I will say, I think in part because we've seen so many iterations of this get it wrong. Sure. I will never forget the first time I went to a Pentecostal church and they had pray without ceasing up on the slide thing. And everybody was just mumbling. And it was like, (laughs) I am so uncomfortable. Like this can't be what it is. This can't be what it, what that means. How can you function if that's right? What it is, right? How do you how do you have a conversation with another person? How do you make disciples? How do you like love your neighbor? How do you sleep? I mean, like let's just let's just be honest. So yeah, this is a really great example of how we fundamentally get prayer wrong. Yeah, even when we ask questions like how long should I pray for or what should the start time or stop time be, stuff like that, all of that reveals this compartmentalized, disjointed view of prayer that we have. But the reality is prayer is much more about listening Mm -hmm. and being aware than it is about what we say. Now, don't get me wrong. A part of prayer is speaking, is proclaiming, is interceding 100%. -hmm. But the majority of prayer is a surrendered silence, is a stillness that moves us into activity where we're not engaging with activity from this place of what I call frantic in action. Yes. We're moving into activity from a place of rest, expecting God to show up in those moments, realizing that we're not God and God doesn't expect us to be God. We don't have to be God over our situations. We don't have to be God over our relationships. We don't have to be God over our purpose. Mm. We get to bring God into those moments. And that looks like surrendering to peace. That looks like believing. Like I love what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And for him, that was the most re- reasonable thing to do. He actually says, that. he said, let your reasonableness be made known to all. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how is that reasonable not to be anxious about anything? Like, Paul, did you live in a different world? And then the reality is he's writing this from prison. Right, exactly. So he's, like, he's in prison. Like, don't be anxious about anything. I'm like, I don't know about that. If I'm in prison, in that season of his life, he's like, has all my work been for vain? These churches aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. The people who I trained up, they're falling away. They're not doing the things I taught them to do. I mean, a lot of things could have been coming at him in this moment. And the key for him, the linchpin is a statement that he makes. The Lord is at hand. For Paul, the key was 
that he believed that by the spirit of God, the lie of separation had been overcome. Yeah. The lie that God would not intermingle with our mess had been overcome. And for Paul, praying constantly was the way that he continually surrendered. This, this is the one who uses the language dying daily, First Corinthians 15. Right. He's saying, look, this is difficult, y'all. This is not easy to believe. Everything in our world is going to try to tell us something different. Yeah. And he's saying, but the fight, the fight worth having is to believe that the Lord is indeed at hand, that even when God feels silent, it's a rejection to let go of cheap forms of knowing him and enter to deeper degrees of knowing him. When we face the fires of life, believing like, hey, we're going to get through. It's like when we pray, lead us not into temptation. That's actually not what it is in Greek. What it actually is in Greek is let not temptation be the end of our story. Mm. That's more so how it reads. So we're not yeah. saying we're not going to go through hard things. Right. We're saying that the hard thing is not going to be the end of us, that God will see us through, that there is another side. And the key to getting through is actually remembering that the Lord is at hand. And we do that through practicing a prayerfulness that is constant. Sometimes I wonder if we need like a different word for prayer. Like has prayer been religified so much that that's not what it is. Like that is what it is, right? Because it's the, it's, it is the original intended existence, right? But now on the other side of experiencing a different kind of communication with God, that it, it doesn't feel right. I don't know. I don't feel like that makes sense, but I'm like, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's it does. more than that. Yeah. Like it's more than that. And it's not that it isn't some of these components that we've associated with prayer. It's Absolutely. inclusive. It's it's 100% inclusive of those components. And even when I was writing this book, I took two and a half years writing this book. Like this was, uh, it was a lot. And for me, it was because I did not want to write another book on prayer. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I knew the spirit of God. It was such a powerful moment. I, had asked me to write on this, even though, to be honest with you, Blake, I felt very ill-equipped to write this book. Yeah. And I'm actually looking back now, grateful that I went into it with this profound awareness of how unqualified <laughs> I was to write this book. Because even now, when I read this book, it's like, it's so evident that this is a work that transcends my contribution. I had a lady reach out to me a couple of days ago, and she she's battling stage three cancer right now. She's been a Christian for 55 years. She messaged me. She said, I have never felt connection with God. 55 years. 55 years. Like, and she's like, I've read so many books on prayer, blah, blah, blah. They give me formulas. They give me this. She's like, and I've never felt a connection with God. She said, after reading words with God, she's like, I feel so close to God and I feel a connection. And she said, so much of what I thought like wasn't a part of like of my life that wasn't quote unquote prayer. She's realized that's actually a part of prayer yeah. and what I'm invited to enter into and where God wants to meet me and reveal himself to me. Like, I wonder how much of this people are going to be like, oh, I'm already doing that. I just wasn't like calling it the thing. I had a pastor actually tell me that exact thing. He's been a pastor for 20 years. He reached out to me and he said, hey, I, I about done with words with God. He's like, I just want to let you know. I've never felt more inspired and challenged to pray. He said, but I've also never realized how much I'm already praying. Exactly. And I was like, that is an answer to prayers that I pray when yes. I was writing this book. Both of those things, because the Father does want to draw us closer to his heart. Yeah. But there's also, there's also so much of our life that we've forfeited 
to that space that is quote unquote not prayer that should belong to that to the robustness of what prayer is and what prayer invites us into i had that realization real recently about like crying out when like just those momentary flashes of hardship and how like your soul you know we have a new heart we're a new creation my knee jerk is to cry out that's what my soul does is like oh my gosh like help me and you see that all through scripture and realizing that that innate reaction to facing difficulty like that's prayer that is communing with god he even wants to see the and i know this is the silliest example but the the toilet is overflowing and you're like oh golly like everything's gone wrong today I used to have this visual as a kid of God, like batting our prayers aside. I had a really healthy view of God as a kid. <laughs> just being like, oh, that one's like, that one doesn't count. I don't need that one. <laughs> but like that he sees yeah. us in even those moments of inconvenience and yeah. difficulty yeah. that he meets us even in that. And I love that you're not attempting to throw away framework, but instead just expand it, right? Because sometimes I do need to go in my closet and close the door and like go to war and battle and converse or cry out or whatever it is, but allowing it to grow beyond that and kind of almost like bleed into your whole life. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's an indescribable experience. There's a chapter in the book, it's called opening the conversation. And I describe exactly what you just described. Those two dimensions of prayer. I call them for simplicity's sake. I call them quality time and conscious time. Yeah. We need the quality time with God. And the quality time feeds the conscious time. And the conscious time feeds the quality time. And Jesus, even though he lived as we read in John 5, he lived in perfect union with the Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He would still steal away mm -hmm. into times of silence and solitude with the Father. So we need both of those. Yeah. And it's amazing how when you open yourself to both possibilities, they'll feed each other and you'll find a healthier relationship with both of them. And in this in this book, like I give, I give ancient practices. Like I offer frameworks. I yeah. I offer like I talk about the examine and why the examine is such a powerful framework. So I'm not anti-framework, but I'm also not going to leave people there. Exactly. Because a framework is only as good as your understanding of what that framework is all about. And for, for me, I'm like, hey, let's, let's look at why, let's look at what's on both sides of the framework. So why is the framework necessary, but also what is the framework pointing to? Right. And if we understand those two, then we can travel through the framework. And that's when frameworks become helpful. Well, I think it's just a really sweet reminder that there's always more available to us than we think is it, that always goes beyond what we think he's given us. Because if we're being honest, if our prayer was confined to frameworks, that would be a really sweet extension of grace, right? That we get to conversate with the creator of the universe and the, yeah. the savior of our existence. That would be enough. But he's so much better than we even mm. have any capacity to understand. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, the frameworks are great. And if that's what you need, awesome. But like, look at what's available. Look at the depths I'm willing to go to with you. If you're willing to like not leave them behind, but l allow me to help you grow them, grow those frameworks and structures. Yeah. I have another question. A little bit of a topic change. 
but I, I feel like I asked this question a lot as a child and I'm pretty sure my children are going to ask me this question. I don't know that I have a great response to it now that I'm sitting here thinking about it. <laughs> Why do we pray if God already knows everything? Yeah, that's a really great. If he already knows what we're going to ask. He already knows what we need. Right. He already knows what he's going to do. Why? Why? Totally. Right. It's a great question. Like if he's a good father, he's a good God and he cares about the world and he wants good things done. Why won't he just take care of whatever good thing needs to be done without our prayers? Right. Totally. I've been there. Ask the same <laughs> question. My kids are a little older than yours. They've asked me the question. Too. Exactly. <laughs> I've had so many people ask me this question and it's a question that I've had to wrestle down. And I'm still, to be honest with you, I'm still wrestling with this question. I, I have an answer but I'm still growing in my answer. Yeah. But what, what I'll share with you, the invitation to ask in prayer is an invitation to live aware. So when we start to pray specific prayers and we take the time to really understand ourselves and understand what's inside of us and give words to what we're navigating, what we're going through, and we, we find the courage to articulate it and bring it to God, things happen. Mm-hmm in us. And we, we become more aware of how God moves and how he works in our lives. I, I like to say that God can do a lot with an imperfect prayer, right? He can. Like even an imperfect prayer has a way of leading us into a perfect thing and through a perfect process. So don't be afraid of that. What I would be more concerned about is just living in a world where, where you pray vague prayers. Yeah. Because if you just pray vague prayers, you'll never, you'll never see, you'll never connect the dots and see God's faithfulness and his goodness in your life. And if you look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, because like this was the model that I found. All right, like what are the tenets of a really healthy prayer life? Mm-hmm. And I and I thought to myself, I'm going to go look at Jesus in his greatest hour of need. Like he's the author and perfecter of our faith. We're supposed yeah. to follow him. I was like, all right, I want to see what he did. So you go to the Garden, and there's three words that come alive for me in in the Garden experience. And I and I write about this in the book in a chapter. How should we ask? And the first word is Jesus is specific. He prays, he's like, if there's any way yeah. this cup could pass, <laughs> anyway, please let it pass, right? Yeah. He's specific. Number two, he's steadfast. He asks his friends, he's like, hey, will y'all pray with me? He's going at it. He's praying. He's contending. Yeah. Blood is seeping from his pores. Now, obviously, this is a very extreme example, but he's steadfast. Yeah. And number three, he's surrendered says, not my will, but yours to be done. And we like to swing a pendulum because, you know, we're chronic pendulum swingers as people. So we either like it to be God, I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. Right. And that's like an effective prayer. Or it's just, I'm going to pray your will be done, God. And we really have no idea what's going on with our prayers. Yeah. And the truth is healthy prayer, like most healthy emotions, bring us into a place of apparent contradiction where we have to mature into greater expressions of relationship and a greater understanding of what it is to be human and what it is to engage with God. And we have to be people who are both specific with our prayers and surrendered in our prayers and steadfast. Like we're willing to go to bat for it because we know that a lot of what prayer does in us is the process and the process and how that forges something in us and actually prepares us to receive what we're asking for, because I believe every prayer that leaves our lips arrives in the Father's heart, mm-hmm. 100%. And I believe it rests there until that prayer matures or that prayer's time has come. I fully believe that. Yeah. And so 
and sometimes that looks like an immediate resonance. And sometimes that looks like us scratching our head and being like, I prayed this specific thing. And God, you actually did that specific thing. Help me understand this. And that leads to really great engagement and growth with us having to wrestle with God's character and how he engages with us in our pain and our need and what it looks like to be people of obedience and faith. That's where the meaningful life, like that's yeah. where it happens as far yeah. as what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah. So yeah. That's what I would share. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. I think I had to make the shift of, I think if you're raised in any kind of religion, you kind of accidentally turn God into a genie and a lamp. 100%. And it's, I'm just tossing this up because this is what I want. And for me being like a go-getter, it was like, Hey, I'm going to get this. I'm just letting <laughs> you know, you know, instead of like, prayerfully considering and and that doesn't mean that prayer or or being prayerful about things means you just sit on your butt and I know you're that you're not saying that and that your book actually communicates that that prayer like spurs on action right and it it empowers us to move forward and I think it comes back to that praying without ceasing it's that being in continual communication with him when you're communicating with him constantly you're not going Hey, by the way, I'm going to do this. You're going, what do we think about this? Yeah, Mm -hmm. cool. And like, there's a a whole nother podcast episode conversation about we have the Holy Spirit within us and that, you know, form of communication and that like discernment and wisdom are flowing through us constantly because we have something the disciples never did. And that's, you know, the actual Holy Ghost and that experience. But it's just such a multifaceted conversation and it's so fascinating <laughs> because it it's so much bigger, right? Like you think prayer, it you is. think bedtime prayer, like grace over your meals and praying when things get hard or when people ask you to. And in reality, we're invited into this experience that really covers our entire existence. Yeah. And you called out the spirit in this book. I just, I use the word the integrator yeah. to describe the spirit. Because the, the spirit is the one who brings all the different pieces of our lives together. And you mentioned John 16, where Jesus looks at him and says, it's better for you that I go away. Yeah. And really what he's communicating, he says, there, there are things that you can't bear right now. And what he's telling them is like, these things that I really want you to understand, they're external. Yeah, They're at arm's length. But when the spirit comes, the integrator, these truths are going to become infused. Yeah. They're going to become a part of who you are by the power of the spirit. And your life is going to be a reflection, not of a transactional relationship between God and man, but actually this fusion, this new creation, this power where God is coming and God's not in a temple, like, because the temple was the microcosm where heaven touched earth. Right. What Jesus is getting at when he he talks about, hey, tear this temple down three days or rebuild it. And Paul says, you are God's temple. What they're essentially saying is saying, you and your life will become the microcosm where the realities of heaven mm. and earth meet. And that's only possible as we, going back to what you said, see every moment as holy. See every moment as an invitation. See every moment as a point of connection. And that sounds like a, like a, like when we hear that, we're like, oh, that's so much work. No. No, it's more work not to. It's more work not to. It's an invitation of rest. Even First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. If you dig into the Greek, it actually is an invitation to constant rest. Yeah. So it's this life like where we're praying because we're in rest. And because we're in rest, we actually know how to respond 
in whatever moment we find ourselves in, which is totally different than the idea of, I got to do this. I got to do that. And it's a checklist. Correct. A hundred percent. And I, I told you this before we started recording. I'm so thankful that we're having this conversation like a year after my prayer life radically changed, or maybe it would have been really good for me a year ago, but I don't think I would have had a lot to contribute to the conversation, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like so much of my communication with God was, (laughs) I felt like I was sending him a fax in 2023 (laughs) and I wasn't 100% sure it was making it, you know? And that wasn't, it doesn't mean that he wasn't moving and communicating, but now having had the experience of knowing what it's like to, it's almost indescribable. Yeah. When you say like the constant community and reassurance and that this is so much easier, that this is the better lot because it doesn't rely on me. It's not all sitting on my shoulders because I'm not trying to figure it out and go at it on my own. Yeah. A language that I use in the book a lot is I describe it as we're not grasping for something, grasping for control, grasping for answers, grasping for whatever. We're being grasped by someone. Yeah. There's a big difference because religion will always put the power in your court. Exactly. You got to do the right things. You got to check the right boxes. Otherwise, God doesn't respond. And even as you were describing, like looking for answers, the reason why the children of Israel kept defaulting to idolatry, where they would go to the hills and they would would, they would sacrifice their children. They would go to the forest and they would do these things because why? They were grasping for control. Yeah. They didn't like the way that God handled his business and how that intermingled with what they were doing. So they turned to a pagan idea of how the gods interact with our human experience. Mm. And they were looking for control saying, if I do X, the gods are going to do Y. And right. that has infected, that has infected our view of God and our view of prayer, even to this day. Yeah. And your book is cracking that wide open. And I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your wisdom and for your time today. Tell people where they can find and follow you online. Yeah. So Words with God available wherever books are sold, audiobook, ebook, regular book, and actually came out in Spanish. It comes out in Spanish really soon. Yeah. I think, I think maybe this week. That's awesome. There we go. And then as far as me, I'm not online a ton, but I have started. I've started a bit. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So I'm on Instagram, not on there a ton, but I am on Instagram, but I did start wordswithgod.org. And it's just a community of people who are committed to viewing prayer as a way of life. That's awesome. I opened the invitation and I sent out a Sunday evening email on prayer and specifically like moving into the week from a place of prayer. And almost 10,000 people have signed up and said, hey, I want to be a part of this prayer as a way of life. So I am doing that regularly now. And they can find out more on that wordswithgod.org. Awesome. Addison, thank you so much. Thank you, Blake. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.